Hey, this is Jason from Slapdash, and this episode is sponsored by 606 Iron, located in the Big M Plaza in Whitley City, Kentucky. 606 Iron has cardio equipment, free weights, numerous weight training machines, weekly kettlebell classes, and tanning beds. Stop by 606 Iron for membership information or call 606-310-4918. History of science and everything else. They slap down a new topic and dash off to next. It's a great big world with so much to know. Like cryptids, time travel, and the history of Poe. If you want to be a smarty, better learn something fast. With Shannon and Jason on Slapdash Podcast. On today's episode, we are going to discuss some of the most interesting psychology experiments in modern history. Across from me is a man whom I'm certain has an undergrad psychology course on his transcripts at some point. At least one. Is that, a, is that an accurate That's assumption? That's a good guess, sir. All right. Yep. And, and not to mention, is a distant relative of Ivan Pavlov. <laughs> Shannon Deaton, how are you? I'm doing well. Distant is the operational word there, man. <laughs> oh, opera- maybe somewhere down the line, like 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 uh, operant conditioning. There you go. There you go. Was that Skinner? I think it's uh, B.F. Skinner. Yeah. I think maybe. That sounds okay. Right. Awesome. Look at you, the psychologist. Yeah, I, I had one psychology. Did you have class. one too? Yeah, I got a certificate suitable for framing. Everybody has to take that class, huh? Everybody's a psychology major, at yeah. least for like. A semester, yeah. right? Do you salivate at the sound of a bell at all <laughs> for, for food or uh, uh, potatoes? At certain things, you know, Diet what, Coke. <laughs> well, my, my love of Diet Coke has been has been uh, well chronicled on that. But uh, my dog, actually, honest to goodness, okay, so I love peanut butter sandwiches, right? And so every probably five days a week, I eat a peanut butter sandwich. I do too, man. Maybe yeah. maybe more than that. And so today I had two Uncrustables. Oh, they're the best. Like, like the real ones, or did you make them yourself? No, the real ones. Like the Smuckers, this came Absolutely. out of the freezer. I got it thawed out for 30 minutes. I thawed it out, thing. and I kind of waited. Yeah, it was the real I had two of the real deals today. That's good. It, it had been a while. Grape jelly? Strawberry? Grape, yeah. Strawberry. Yeah. No. Strawberry shouldn't be allowed. Just imitation. Yeah, it's Grape, just, it's grape's just the original, grape. the best. So now what's funny, though, is that I, I can make it and, and do make uh, a peanut butter sandwich pretty much every day. And so my dog, Cody, he has also become accustomed to eating a peanut butter sandwich when I eat a peanut butter sandwich. Uh-huh. So I will give him one slice of bread, one spoonful of peanut butter folded over. So what's so funny is when he hears like that we have one of those uh, bread garages or whatever they're called, you know, where you, you lift it up. I have no idea what that is. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> no. I may have just invented that term. <laughs> it's kind of a thing like in, in the corner of the kitchen where you, you pull up and it literally yeah. is like a garage door. Like it goes up and folds up against itself. I and might we, know what you're talking about. And we about. store all the bread. Sure. and the toaster and all that in there. So when he hears that noise, he immediately stands up and walks to his cage. And he opens the cage up with his nose and he gets it because he knows that sound means I'm getting a peanut butter sandwich and I'll only eat the peanut butter sandwich in my cage. <laughs> and so he will literally just sit there and wait on me. It's it's kind I of fascinating. That, yeah, that's great. So good for him. So my, my dog likes psychology. Shannon, do you like psychology? I love psychology. It's great. I enjoyed the class in college. I enjoyed reading about the research for this episode. It's a lot of fun because psychology deals with the mind. And that's what we're all about here. Jason Creek Moore on Slapdash is building the mind, building the mind, t- testing the mind, taking it to its limits. There you go. How about Rorschach tests? Have you ever have you ever had one of those? Let's just get right into it. <laughs> I see bats whenever I look at the Rorschach test, uh, and that's that's the end of my story. <laughs> I usually see what, what does that tell you about me though? I usually see, see like cheese pizza. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, 
I've always wanted to be like just sort of like a smart aleck, and you know, yeah. if someone were to show me that, you know, just you know, what do you see? You know, I, I see a psychologist <laughs> trying to break through someone who doesn't really care about being here right now. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's, that's pretty good. That's the image I see. I don't know what you see, but yeah. Now, now, I mean, for folks who are really taking those because they've given these to criminals, right? Oh, to, yeah. To figure oh, out this, their, the psycho- yeah. psychological makeup. This is a of, major topic in psychology. It really is. I mean, who at this point doesn't know? at least what they're trying to do with that. So, I mean, if you're a criminal and you're <laughs> saying you see something crazy in right. that, what, c- come on. You're, you're what just do you being see? self-destructive. Yeah. What do you see? The, the answer pitchfork. Is, I know, right? <laughs> the answer is like rainbows and, and puppy dogs and happiness and bright smiles and Skittles. You know, you don't <laughs> don't go anywhere dark. That's right. No, because <laughs> that's the know, wrong answer. That's exactly right. Yeah, I think at this point, they, they pretty much know where they kind of want you to go with that. Sure. So there have been tons of psychological experiments, uh, quasi-psychological experiments over the decades, and some of these have been uh, celebrated. Some of them have sort of been frowned upon a little bit, but they are all interesting. They are. So we have uh, identified several here of uh, our favorites in regards to at least uh, their being interesting. And so the first one I think that we will begin with is a little something called the Milgram Experiment in 1961. So how familiar are you with, with this? That is the first time I've ever heard of it. So you're very familiar. <laughs> what do you see when I show oh, you this yes. ink blot? <laughs> so the, the Milgram Experiment, again, 1961, it's also referred to as a Obedience to Authority Experiment because that was actually the book that he uh. wrote. I do know where you're going with this. In regard, right. Okay, so Stanley Milgram, a uh, psychology professor at Yale University, conducted an experiment to see how obedient people would be to an authority figure, even if it meant that the directions of the authority figure was causing them to inflict pain on another individual. Now, they... They thought they were inflicting pain, but obviously they they weren't really. So basically the experiment consisted of an actor sitting in a room and hooked to some uh, fake electrical equipment. And we're going to call this person the learner. Right. So that's that's what they called them. They they were the learner. They were the learner. They were also an actor and they were in on the gig. Right. Sure. Okay. In another room, there was the quote unquote expert scientist, lab coat, you know, the name tag, clipboard. Spectacles. Yeah. Hair come to the side, parted in the middle, maybe. Yes. You know, (laughs) yeah. Just wanting wanting to just retrieve some data. Right. Yeah. And lastly, there was a person who was totally oblivious to the experiment. And this was the teacher, oddly enough. Okay. And they thought uh, that the experiment was was real. So the expert told the teacher that each time the the learner answered a question incorrectly, so again, that they can't see the person, so the teacher can't see the learner in in the opposite room, right? Right. So the question's being asked, they can hear each other, but they can't see. Okay. So the the expert, you know, tells the teacher that each time the learner uh, answers a question incorrectly, that it was his job or her job to push a button that would give the learner in the other room an electrical shock. Mm-hmm. Okay, so a little buzz for every incorrect uh, answer. Yeah, just just a little pinprick though, right? Just uh, a little bzz, bzz. At start, at, at the <laughs> beginning, but it gets a little worse. Okay. So obviously there was no real electric shock occurring, even though the teacher genuinely thought that there was. So to make matters worse, each time the learner answered a question incorrectly, which they did on purpose for right. the experiment, the teacher had to increase the voltage of the electric shock oh, no. so much that eventually the learner from the other room began to make noises and eventually scream like, no more, please stop. <laughs> 
And then they would ask the next question. If they got it wrong, they would scream and yell and that type of thing, right? Okay. So it's kind of ramping up. So it's kind of ramping up. You know, it was like a little bit of like a, mm, that didn't feel too well. to yeah. like, oh, I'm dying. Is like, the teacher actually turning the dial of the like, voltage? Like, yeah. So they're like pushing. Yeah. So they're like, you know, sort of revving it up and then boom, hitting the button. Okay. So soon the teacher would begin to question if the learner was okay. <laughs> and if this is, and if this experiment should continue. It kind of reminds me of the old uh, Austin Power scene where Will Ferrell like, falls in the basement or whatever, and he's like, they're killing me. And you think he's dead? And, no, they're back. That's right. So yeah. they're hearing this person moan and scream from the other room, right? So once the teacher began to question these things, uh, Milgram had these responses in this order. So the first time that the uh, the teacher would, would question, hey, is that person okay in there? The first time they would say, he would say, please continue. That's mm. all. Just straight authority. Straight authority. Please continue. And then oftentimes, most times, they would do it again and a little bit a little bit harder. So therefore, the screen was a little bit louder. Wow. Uh, the second time that they began to question this, uh, this is what Milgram said every time. These were very scripted. The second time, his response was, the experiment requires that you continue. Hmm. Okay. So just laying it on. Laying each it on. Time. Yeah. So again you know sort of a rev it up hit the button again someone yells even a little bit louder the third response uh if if uh, the uh, teacher again for the third time question sort of what's going on here milgram would say it is absolutely essential that you continue wow okay and then the fourth and final one you have no other choice you must go on you have no other choice. <laughs> you must go on. So this yeah. is person in a lab coat looking down at this sort of you know innocent bystander here and like, and this person genuinely thinks they're shocking this person in the next room. So right. you know if they say who is the first president of the United States, and if <laughs> you know they say Abraham Lincoln, and they're you know and they're getting electrocuted. Yeah. Uh, eventually, Shannon, sixty five percent of all subjects administered what would have been a lethal electric shock to the person in the other 65%? room. 65%? Just because someone in authority told them to do so. Well, they said it was essential. I, I, I guess in number four, they or number three, yeah. Yeah, it is absolutely essential that you continue, and then you have no other choice. You must go on. So despite hearing the cries and the yeah. begging. The please don't. The please, please help. Yeah. <laughs> Let me loose. You're hurting me. Stop. <laughs> wow. No, they, they kept going. And 65% actually would have killed the other person in the room. That is incredible. That is insane. And so one of the reasons why he conducted this experiment uh, obviously had ties back to Nazi Germany. And he was talking about how easy it would be, and this is proof, for people to do something exactly what someone in authority tells them to do, even though they know Just because they're deep in down that, and they're they, personal. that they have questions about this. Wow. Right, yeah. So that's, a, that's one of the more fascinating psychological experiments that you probably will ever come across. And the escalating... You have to do this. You must continue. It is essential. You yeah. cannot stop now. I think that really adds a whole other layer to it because this person is becoming overly authoritarian as it goes oh, yes, along. Absolutely. And, yeah. And that per that teacher is starting to perceive that. Right. And, and they're starting to maybe feel some intimidation. I would I definitely say that's the case. As a part yeah. of that. Wow. Yeah. Man, that's incredible. What would you do? I mean, just hypothetically, if you didn't know about the experiment, I think you were I, in this. I think the first time you, I saw someone yeah. said, I mean, honestly, because I, I sort of know myself, I think the first time someone would have said that this is hurting, I'd be, no, I'm out. I don't care what you say. I'm, I'm done. You so know, you're just, part of the proud 35%. I think I'll be part of the proud 35%. <laughs> yeah. I really that's do good. believe that. 
that, that I probably would have stopped way early. Good for you, man. Yeah. I believe that about you too, Jason. That's, I appreciate that's that. That's awesome, man. You're a good guy. Hey, thank you so much. <laughs> so our next psychology experiment occurred on January 12, 2007 with an individual named Joshua Bell. Jason, have you ever heard of Josh Bell? I think I have heard of Josh Bell, the baseball player, maybe, but I think this is going to be something different. He's a little bit different. This is is a different Josh Bell. Not swinging a ball bat. Actually, one of the greatest musicians in the world, although I won't discredit the baseball player. Who knows? Okay. He could be. He can play a mean recorder. (laughs) Josh Bell stood in a subway station in Washington, D.C., and performed for approximately 45 minutes. Bell was dressed in plain street clothes and had a collection plate available to collect money from passersby. Sure. Passersby or passerbyers? Yeah. (laughs) One of those two. Either one. Yeah. yeah. We're good with either one. Whoever's on their way by. Right. Yeah. Cat wants money. Sure. That's it. Yeah. (laughs) There were no advertisements indicating that Bell would be in the subway or any indication that Bell was anything more than a musical beggar. That's all they saw him as. I'm in the subway. I see this man on the side. He is playing the violin. He's a good player. I have no indication that he is a world-renowned violinist, perhaps the best in the entire world. He just stood there. He played the violin, and that violin just happened to be a handcrafted 1713 Stradivarius violin, which cost you know, a measly sum of about $3.5 million. Oh, my gosh. So probably not like an Amazon violin. No, he, he did not get this <laughs> off of Amazon at all. This is one of the most famous violinists in the world playing one of the most expensive violins okay. in the world. And he played six classical pieces in total, two of which were by Bach, and over 1,000 commuters passed Bell in the subway, and out of those 1,000 people, it was over 1,000 that passed him, only six people stopped and listened to the best violinist in the world playing the most expensive and one of the rarest violins in the world. Really? Just six people. Wow. Isn't that incredible? Like like the best it gets, literally. The, the, literally the in best In the world. Best equipment, best person. Yeah. And no one really even paid attention. No one's even paying attention. Wow. They just keep going by. And those who did stop, some of those were actually children. And they stopped Hmm. and they would look up and they would stare. And this was documented. It's all recorded as part of the experiment. And you can see the children just kind of stop and glare and look. And then you'll see a parent's hand swiftly come in and pull them away because they're, they're in the subway. (laughs) <laughs> wow. and, and a lot of these people are on That's their way to work, right? right? So they're they're in a hurry, and that was part of the experiment. About 20 of the people who came by did give money to Bell. They dropped it in his collection plate, but they continued to walk at their normal pace. They didn't slow down. They didn't stop. They just dropped money, and they went on. So in total, after he was there for 45 minutes, he collected $32 okay. from the event. When Bell finished playing, no one really noticed there was just silence, no applause, no thank yous, nothing that he was accustomed to as a world-renowned violinist. And he just picked up that $3.5 million violin. He took his $32 and left the station without anyone caring. He was out of there. And Jason, just three days earlier, Bell had played to a full house at Boston Symphony Hall, and seats were sold for over $100 each. So that's what these people were getting for free. Wow. But they free concert. had no idea at all. Right. One of the best. The experiment was designed by Washington Post writer Gene Weingarten, who set up the event as, quote, an experiment in context, perception, and priorities, as well as an unblinking assessment of public taste in a banal setting at an inconvenient time. Would beauty transcend? 
end quote. And that almost sounds like the intro hmm. to, a, to a Twilight Zone episode. Right. I can just see Rod Serling standing there. <laughs> so that cigarette smoke floating <laughs> in front of his face. <laughs> the cigarette smoke, the black and white, in a banal setting at an inconvenient time. <laughs> Would beauty transcend in the Twilight Zone? And <laughs> Oh, yeah. Perfect setup. Perfect setup. But, yeah, this, this was an interesting experiment. I think it really played on context which was the intention obviously a subway is not a place where you would typically hear a violinist playing much less one that is world renowned so sure people didn't find themselves in the traditional place so they weren't looking for something beautiful they weren't looking for something to transcend their situation right. they were just trying to get on their just way trying to get to work let's get on the subway let's go to work and oh there's this guy here and he's he's doing something sort so. of stop and smell the roses type thing that's it a little bit yeah, yeah. Yeah, they missed out though. Yeah, golly, that's tough. Man, poor them. So, Jason, what's up next? Next up, we have the Kitty Genovese case of 1964. And this case was not necessarily an experiment, but the details of this case led to multiple psychological experiments later on. Basically, Kitty Genovese was stabbed to death outside of her apartment in New York City while several bystanders uh, watched. Genovese actually broke loose from her murderer for a moment and ran down the sidewalk before the murderer followed her and once again began the stabbing. So this this actually, it took several, I mean, a few seconds, maybe a minute for this entire thing to, to play out. So he stabs her, she breaks loose, she kind of runs away, he runs after, runs down the sidewalk, she's screaming, multiple people are watching it. He starts again stabbing her and eventually kills her. During this entire scene, no one rushed to help, and no one called the police for several minutes afterward. Wow. Just literally stood and watched the whole thing. Just the bystander effect. They're yeah. just sitting and there that's exactly, and watching. That's yeah. exactly it. Uh, so this case highlighted what is referred to as the bystander effect, which basically suggests that there is a diffusion of responsibility when there are multiple witnesses to a horrible situation. Mm. Psychologists state that each bystander got permission to not do anything based on other people's inaction. So the more people that did not act, the easier it was for them to not act. Hmm. So that one to me is like, it's really interesting, but it's also like extremely sad. I mean, could you imagine this girl like probably looking out to the crowd and saying, hey, you help me. You help me. He's behind me. What's going on? I mean, and her life literally was taken from her as multiple, multiple people saw this from different perspectives. And they're just watching. And they're just watching. It just happens. Yeah. And they probably could have prevented it. A number of times. Oh, I mean, I know we say like maybe 45 seconds to a minute that that's, that's not very long. But in a situation like that, that's like an eternity. Oh, you're hanging on every second. Yeah. Everything, it feels like five minutes a second. Yeah. And so for and so in, you know, in police interviews, uh, after this was over, people were like, yeah, I saw her. And I didn't, I, th- I thought it was a joke. Or I thought, well, surely he wouldn't run after her after she escaped. Mm-hmm. And well, surely someone else would be, you know, kind of uh, uh, intervening if it was that bad. Yeah. And and everybody pretty much said that. And obviously nobody did until until it was over. Wow. I've seen that play out uh, whenever, like, have you ever been the first person on the scene or, or seen like a car accident? happen yeah before anybody was really yeah. responding before the police got there before just once really any ambulance or anything yeah. i think maybe maybe twice maybe even three times oh, that's really? happened yeah I, i've seen the point of collision the impact oh. and and all of that and each time I'll, I'll have to admit depending on like how soon i got there so say in those three scenarios if i literally was the first person to come across the event um 
I, I felt more of an urgency to do something, right? right? Because I feel like, oh, I'm here. I'm the first one. I just saw this. What What's going on? Um, and that actually happened to me. I was on my way to work one day whenever I was uh, teaching at the middle school. And I came across a, a red light and I stopped. But the guy in front of me ran the red light. Mm-hmm. And when he did that, there was a car that just came speeding along and just T-boned him Oh man! right in the side. And I saw them spin around right there in the middle of the intersection. And for a moment, my heart was just gripped like, oh, I'm oh sure, my man. gosh, what's going on? So I, I put my car in park and I got out and I walked into the intersection. I was the only one there. It was in the middle of uh, not really a bigger town, but but London, Kentucky. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, you know, there, obviously there were people sitting at each corner yeah. of, of the lights there. So I walked into the intersection and I saw this old man sort of stumble out of his car and he was holding his chest and he was oh, gosh. It, it was scary he was okay but he was terrified and uh, i just remember you know getting on my phone right away and calling 911 and i saw a few other people sort of getting out of their cars and looking around the first responders like the first people who were there sure, yeah. but then as you look back through the line because obviously we were at a major intersection I just remember clearly seeing, you know, rows and rows of cars of people who were doing nothing but sitting there and waiting for the lights to come back on so they could go and get back right. on their way. Sort of, sort of detached from the situation. Detached from the Shannon's situation. already there. That's right. Yeah, yes. or whoever else. Yeah, yeah. And and but in their defense, in in the couple other times, uh, I've never been that close to it. You know, I've been there. I, I've sort of passed it before. Maybe the police got there or the ambulance or right. whatever. But I would be passing by and I would see maybe somebody else is already there, and it looks like they're taking care of it. So in some ways, like I could feel it like lifted in my spirit, like a burden, like away because oh, this person, someone else got there. Is dealing right. with. But but really. You know, having the the minimal context of just like passing by in my own car, who knows if they were right. really sitting there taking. And I question that sometimes. So, yeah. I can see psychologically how something like the bystander effect could happen. It's, oh, it's just uh, kinda, abs- it's sad, crazy. but and I don't think it's intentional. Right. I think it just it just is. Yeah. Right? So yeah, it's it's definitely interesting. Sure. So Shannon, let's. Uh, this is probably as good a spot as any. Let's take a uh, break and learn about some of those really, really super good, super cool slapdash products. Let's check them out. Hey everyone, we're happy to announce that the podcast now has a merchandise store. Shannon, everyone loves hoodies and everyone loves coffee. Yeah, and you can pick up a nice slapdash hoodie or a slapdash mug and drink your next cup of joe right out of a slapdash cup. <laughs> we also have t-shirts and stickers. Yeah, we do. So. Come on by and log on to www.slapdashpod.com forward slash store. That's www.slapdashpod.com forward slash store. We are back and we are discussing the history of psychology studies. Up next on our discussion list is something called the Stanford Marshmallow Test. Jason, you ever heard of the Stanford Marshmallow Test? I have not. I like marshmallows. Stanford's a good good university. Yeah, so it, it's got to be great, right? Has to has to be pretty good. Got to be wonderful. When I first read the title, I immediately thought of the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man from <laughs> Ghostbusters. Oh yeah, yeah. I thought, man, what, yeah. what are they doing with this guy? But the Stanford Marshmallow Test was a series of studies on delayed gratification in the late 1960s and early 1970s, which were led by psychologist Walter Mischel. Children who were ages four to six were brought into a room where a treat, usually a marshmallow, which is where the test takes its name from, but sometimes a cookie or a pretzel was placed on a table. So basically a treat. Okay. Bring the kids in, 
There's a table. There's a treat on the table. Usually a marshmallow, but definitely something they want to eat. Could be an Uncrustable. <laughs> we, we just don't know. We don't know. We don't know yeah, all the answers. It could be any of those things. <laughs> uh, the researchers told the children that they could eat the treat, but if they waited for 15 minutes without giving in to temptation, <laughs> they would receive a second treat as well. So let's, let's uh, unpack okay. that for a minute. You know, just thinking through what you were talking about with um, Cody your right. dog yeah. you know do you think there's any chance he would sit idly in his cage if you were to just place an uncrustable in front of him and, and wait for the second uncrustable? you know not unless you tell him because no you're going to think i'm joking when i say this but you can put something down in front of him even something like a really good super good treat mm-hmm. and say cody wait you have to wait and cody will not eat it until you tell him to eat it really yeah and i don't know how long he could hold out i mean peanut butter sandwich is pretty tempting right man so yeah i'm sure if we turned our head you know he'd go for it. He, he would go for it but if we're staring at him i don't think he would so but, he can uh, delay the gratification uh if if you're staring at him, he keeps, he keeps saying, wait, 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 you know, <laughs> I can do this. Right. <laughs> That's awesome. So in this experiment, the researchers put the treat on the table. They told the kids that if you can wait for just 15 minutes, we'll give you a second treat. Jason, the game was on. <laughs> the researchers left each child in the room alone and without any other stimulation. There were no toys. There was not a television. There was a table. There was a treat. There was the chair they were sitting in. Just them and the treat. <laughs> Researchers reported that some children would cover their eyes with their hands <laughs> or turn around so that they couldn't see the tray. Uh, others started kicking the desk or tugging on their pigtails. Uh, or some actually started stroking the marshmallow as if it were a stuffed animal. <laughs> That'd probably be me. It's like, oh, my precious, you wait. <laughs> 15 more minutes. <laughs> While some children would simply eat the marshmallow as soon as the researchers left, these children were actually in the minority. I wouldn't have expected that. Really? I would have thought most of the kids immediately would have went for the <laughs> marshmallow. Like, soon as soon as they say, now, if you wait. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Over 600 children took part in the experiment. One third of the children were able to delay gratification long enough to get the second marshmallow. And age was a major factor in how long the children were able to delay the gratification. I wonder if there's sort of, a, I guess, a, a better understanding of the concept of time. Maybe. Right. Yeah. So like 15 minutes is not that, you know, because I remember like when my youngest daughter, when she was probably six or seven years old, you know, she would ask, you know, uh, hey, where are we going? And we would yeah. say, we're going to Somerset or we're going to Knoxville or sure. Lexington or whatever. And she would say, well, how long will it take to get there? And it really didn't matter like the amount of time I told her. So I would break down things like uh, it would it's going to take uh, the length of two Disney shows. Oh, that's smart. And in her mind, she thought, okay, I she can, could rationalize I can that. do that. Right. Yeah. So I wonder if it had something to do like just with the understanding of really what 15 minutes is. That's a, really that's a big difference between a, a first a first grader and a preschooler. Yeah. You know? Yeah. When, when I was a young kid, I remember this too. I would come home and it would be almost bedtime. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm talking like six, seven years old. I just remember right. this. And my mom would say, well, you can stay up for five more minutes. And, and I know that's, that's a minuscule amount of time. That's no time at all. But to a kid, I thought, that's right, I can. Five minutes. What can <laughs> yeah. I do in five minutes? I felt like uh, Andy from Toy Story. I just ran and grabbed all the soldiers and, you know, set them up. And we had a quick five-minute fight out, you know, shoot out at the, the right. saloon yeah. <laughs> or whatever. But, yeah, to, to a kid, time definitely has a different meaning, right. I think, than it does to adults. But in this study, they did do some follow-up. They followed up with the children who were able to wait longer for the larger reward. And it was found that these children tended to have better life outcomes Mm. as measured by SAT scores, education, body mass index, BMI, 
and other life measures. So uh, this this was a good predictor of how well they were going to do in their lives. That doesn't that doesn't really shock me because I, yeah. I really thought that that's kind of the direction you were probably going to go. That's how it went. Right. Yeah. I'm surprised that that manifests itself at such an early age that you can see it then and and it you know goes on to right. impact your life later on. So kind of cool. Oh yeah. Yeah. So Jason, what's up next? Uh, Shannon, my last one is the Stanford Prison Experiment of mm. 1971. Another Stanford, huh? Another Stanford, another experiment. Man, they're working on people. Stanford doing some things <laughs> out there. They're doing some things. Out on the West Coast. <laughs> That's right. Uh, this is one of the most famous or infamous experiments in the history of modern psychology. Stanford professor Philip Zimbardo led a research group that wanted to study people's conformity regarding social roles in certain situations for instance, a prison. All right. So after the spring semester ended, Zimbardo transformed the basement of the psychology building at Stanford University into a makeshift prison. The classrooms and offices were made into interrogation rooms, prison cells, and a cafeteria. Basically, Zimbardo offered to pay college students for their participation. Participants knew that this was a prison-like situation uh, and were told that each participant would either be a prison, uh, either a prisoner or a prison guard, and that the experiment would last for two weeks and that they would be paid for their time uh, at the conclusion of the experiment. All right. Uh, and then also they, you know, there was a clause in there where like, well, no physical harm, you know, you know, that although some of you are going to be prisoners, some regards, we can't physically rough you up or anything like that. So, sure. So everybody yeah. signed off. So we're on just that. pretending. Yeah. This is ha ha ha. It's, it's a big game, right? <laughs> but I'm the prison guard for about five hours. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So the prison guards were charged with making the prisoners uh, remove all their clothes, receive a de-lousing treatment mm. and given a prison uniform. Uh, from that point, they were they would be in charge of all aspects of the prisoners' lives. This included uh, recreation time and meals. Within hours, the guards began to willingly treat the prisoners with decreased respect by calling them names and making fun of them when ordering them around. Mm. So you know, it's like ha ha ha, get in there, you know, blankety blank, and then it's like ha ha ha, yeah, don't call me that again. Huh. You know, they're like, ah, ha, ha, this is a joke. And was that them. part of it that they had to call them that or did no, that develop? that developed. Hmm. That developed within hours. Just w- a few hours. Within hours. Eventually, meals began to be withheld and, <laughs> and actual confrontations developed in less than a week when guards removed mattresses and began to physically assault the prisoners. They began to kind of rough them up against the wall a little bit. Again, of their own accord. Own accord. There's no script. There is zero Doesn't script. say on day three, go and flip the beds over. No. Throw them out, don't feed them. No, he just wanted. They just decided to do that. That's exactly, that is exactly right. That He just basically said, we're going to have a prison here for two weeks. You're the prisoners. You're the guards. They eat at these three times a day. That's it. And outside of that, you just sort of take care of them. And then uh, Zimbardo just sat back and watched it go. And mm-hmm. he just wanted to see what would happen. And sure enough, literally within hours, some things kind of started to bubble the, you know, bubble to the top. Uh, the experiment ended after just six days. So it, it didn't even go one you week. Had to cut it off. Had to totally just discontinue it. People Zimbardo, were trying to shank each other. Oh, that were just just fights. Just basically like fights and like I want out of this. This is not this is not what I thought it was going to be. And there were some punches thrown. Man. And it got really like antagonistic. So Shawshank Redemption. For real. Yeah. For real. For real. Wow. Uh, Zimbardo concluded that even in a simulated environment, people uh, more times than not conform to societal roads, uh, roles. And multiple pri- – now, now check this out. Multiple prisoners even asked to be quote unquote paroled. <laughs> 
okay? <laughs> now, keep in mind, six days ago, they're just a 20-year-old walking the street, right? Yeah, Going home for, for college. Normal folks. Summer break, right? right? So they had to apply to be paroled, which meant that they would forego their, comp- their compensation for the experiment. So they wanted to get out of the prison so bad after six days that they had to like apply for like they couldn't even just say I'm out. Where's the exit? No, they had to apply for parole, (laughs) and then (laughs) then they were taken on like before a committee. And of course they they would be approved to leave, but they would forego their their money. They wouldn't get paid. They just gave up those six days or whatever. Yeah, or whatever. Yeah, whatever it was. So again, this was supposed to go on for two weeks. (laughs) Didn't really even make it six full days. Did the researchers say it is essential that you continue? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, at least for a little while. Uh, basically, Philip or uh, Philip Zimbardo's girlfriend, yeah, shut it down. Oh, she, she? she was also in the psychology department, and she came and saw what was happening and said, "This is not ethical. This is not good. You have to quit now." And Zimbardo did not want to quit. He wanted to keep on full steam ahead. And she said, "No, this is going to end in a in a travesty right here." Mm. And so he, in a you know, ne- or thanks to her encouragement, he you know ended the uh, experiment early. And I have an interesting quote here from Zimbardo. He says, "The line between good and evil is permeable, and almost anyone can be induced to cross it when pressured by situational forces." Mm. Also, sounds very much like the Twilight Zone. <laughs> do, 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 do. Sounds yeah. like the end of one. And and there was also uh, a movie made. Uh, based on this called the Stanford in Prison Experiment uh, in 2015. Really? Yeah, and it's pretty good. That's I, fairly recent. Uh, pretty, yeah, yeah, I think I watched it maybe the maybe 2016 or 17 when yeah. it came out. But uh, yeah, it was really, really cool. I think it was on Netflix for a while. I'll have to check that one out. Yeah. I, I had no idea that yeah. there was a movie made over that. So that is the Stanford Prison Experiment. Wow, how interesting. So what do you have up? So Jason, the last one I have is called the Bobo Doll Experiment. You ever heard of the Bobo Doll? I have not. <laughs> well, it is very interesting. For sure. Albert Bandura performed the Bobo doll experiment in 1961. The study was designed to test Bandura's belief that all human behavior was learned through social imitation and copying rather than inherited through genetics. So in other words, you you don't necessarily just act like your mom. You don't just act like your dad because that's what's in your DNA. But the reason that you might have similar qualities and characteristics to your mom and dad or any relative is because you have observed them do certain things throughout your life. Okay. And that's what Bandera argued. Now, the whole Bobo doll concept, that related to an inflatable punching bag doll with the face of a clown. So okay. do you remember these whenever you were younger? Oh, yeah. Or, or maybe, maybe you have one of these today, Jason. I don't know. The, like the blow-up dolls that you can kind of punch and they kind of wobble kind of walk back, back and forth. And, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. yeah I, I used to have one of those when I was a kid. I had a bunch of those. I used to yeah. attack I, it with uh, a plastic sword. I had a... <laughs> in the name of He-Man. In, the, <laughs> in your battle cat cringer. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> By I, the power of Grayskull. <laughs> I think mine was uh, Incredible Hulk, I think. Oh, I think mine was Leonardo, the, uh, the Ninja Turtle. Okay. Yeah. Pretty cool. Uh, In this experiment, children were separated into one of three groups. So here are the groups. In one group, children watched an adult show aggression toward the Bobo doll by hitting it, kicking it, or knocking it down. So they would literally watch an adult go into the room that had the doll and other toys, and that that adult would just wail on this thing, you know, and just provide an example to the children. They didn't say it was an example. They just watched and observed the adult. To see what happened. But the kid's like, okay. (laughs) All right, that happened. (laughs) In the second group, children watched an adult who passively played with the Bobo doll and did not show aggression toward it at all. Just kind of walked in, maybe, you know, patted it on the head, (laughs) rocked it back and forth, you know. (laughs) Let's play some checkers, Bobo. (laughs) That's right. In the third group, which was the control group, children did not uh, witness an adult playing with the Bobo doll at all. They just 
had no experience of seeing someone else interact with the doll before they got in there. So the children were individually sent into a room with various toys and the Bobo doll. There it sat. And to increase the levels of frustration in the children, because apparently for this experiment, it was it was important that the children already sort of be aggravated when they walked <laughs> okay. in. Uh, the children were each told that they shouldn't play with the toys in the room because the toys were meant for other children. <laughs> And okay. I have three young daughters, and yes, that would lead to a world war in my house. Yeah. You know, the researchers found that children exposed to the aggressive adult, the one who attacked the Bobo doll, were more likely to exhibit aggressive behavior toward the doll themselves. These children would punch, kick, and even bite the Bobo doll. And at least one instance, a child took a toy gun and attempted to shoot the Bobo doll. Oh, good night. So that escalated <laughs> quite a bit. Uh, let's let you look at the Rorschach ink blot. <laughs> what do you see here? Super Bo- soakers. <laughs> Bobo. Only Bobo. That's right. It was found that boys showed a far higher tendency to mimic the physically aggressive behavior of the adult than did girls. So okay. unfortunately, man, there's there's some uh, you know latent aggression okay. must be in your in your DNA. Hmm. I don't know if you're a boy. Apparently, right. that that's what it says here, or uh, as they say in Zootopia, in your dunna. You ever seen Zootopia? <laughs> yeah, but I forgot about that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The little fox character. He says, uh, you know, aggression's in my dunna. <laughs> children in the other two groups uh, the group with the passive adult who played with the bobo doll as well as the control group showed little aggressive behavior toward the bobo doll they they really didn't attack it they just played with it they played with the other toys in the room and they just kind of got along Hmm. it was just fine so just really like a learned trait yeah then yeah imitated behaviors important man now if i'm gonna be honest if i uh if i had been a child in that third group i think that would have concerned me more than anything if an adult walked in and and seized the bobo (laughs) doll i would be like why is why is that person not acknowledging the bobo doll right what's going on don't you see the bobo doll over there that that is the most interesting thing going on yeah how do you play with that yeah either play with it or punch it or something but acknowledge (laughs) the bobo doll yeah i think that would have made me nervous yeah that that would have been strange but jason that's all i have these were interesting psychology studies there are many more that maybe we can get into in the future but do you have anything else to add in the way of psychology or studies or electrical shocks etc i don't think so i think i'm all out of electrical shocks for tonight and uh, i'm gonna go home and uh eat a uh marshmallow i guess and (laughs) maybe peanut butter sandwich i don't know and call it a night very good throw throw cody one of those too oh i will sure he'll appreciate it he's my bud yeah thanks all of our listeners who are following us each week we encourage you to share the podcast with a friend subscribe and also follow us on social media you can find us on facebook twitter and instagram at the handle at slapdash pod and we'll catch you in the next episode take care everybody 